So welcome everyone to our Empowering Podcast. And I'm delighted to have with me today a consultant psychiatrist, Dr. Sabina Fai. And Dr. Sabina is a wonderful person because she has great communication skills, which is essential for a psychiatrist, but she's also going to talk today about our mental health and our mental well-being. And Sabina, it was consultant psychiatrist with HSC. She specialized in psychiatry and adult psychiatry, um, a psychiatry of later life. She's also involved with postgraduate training of um, uh, medical students and also doctors training for psychiatry. And she's also done a lot on meditation and she's done a master's in leadership in healthcare as well. So delighted to be joined by Dr. Sabina Fai. Uh, Dr. Sabina, I'm delighted to be talking to you because uh, I was particularly anxious to talk to a psychiatrist because we're hearing so much about mental health, particularly with COVID. And you're very experienced. You're a consultant for 20 years with HSC and you've specialized in psychiatry in later life and in adult psychiatry. And of course, you're also very involved with educating students and you're an examiner with the college. Uh, how did you get involved in psychiatry, Sabina? Can you, can you tell us? Um, well, I suppose uh, my entry entrance to psychiatry was a little bit circuitous because I did some general medicine and a year of paediatrics, actually, before well I finally decided to do psychiatry. Um, yes. But when I, when I was working in paediatrics, which I loved, um, I thought I might kind of pursue that as a career. But actually, um, when I was one, one evening I was on call, there was a girl admitted, a 12 year old girl admitted to our paediatric ward and she was suffering with anorexia nervosa. And mm. I suppose it struck me that, you know, whereas when children came in and they were physically unwell, sometimes they were very unwell initially. But once you treated them, they made a very quick recovery. Whereas with this poor girl with anorexia, there were so many different facets involved. Like there were oh. so many factors in her, both her presentation and you know, her diagnosis and her management. And I was fascinated that when the consultant psychiatrist would visit the war to review this girl, that, you know, she would come with members of the team. And this, I found this fascinating, you know, that this idea of yeah. working kind of with, another, with the, uh, people on a team. So I suppose from that, um, I thought, well, I'd try psychiatry and see if I liked it. I liked it as an undergraduate, but I suppose every discipline I did as an undergraduate, I kind of thought I might do this as a career. I kind of loved all of them. But yeah. when I started doing psychiatry then, um, I, you know, I, I found, I suppose I found I had a real love for it. I had a real enthusiasm um, for the for the specialty. And as I was going through the different specialisms within psychiatry, again, I kind of liked all almost all of them as I was doing them. But then I met a couple of people that were very um, inspirational for me in my career. Um, and that's why I chose psychiatry of later life to pursue psychiatry later life. So then I ended up doing dual training in both general adult and psychiatry of later life, because as a consultant on call in Ireland, you always have to cover general adult, you know, of course. Uh, well. Of course. So. And, and of course, one of the things you didn't tell us is that you're a very empathetic and caring person, of course, of mine. And that's the real reason that you went into psychiatry, you know, because you, you mentioned their anorexia. Of course, anorexia is a particularly difficult condition to treat and unfortunately very common. And, yes. and as you said, it has a lot of facets. And one of them is a low self-esteem, isn't it? Which is mm. one of the big factors. And I suppose we're talking about empowering people and a low self-esteem is, is one that we see a lot, isn't it, in anorexia in particular? 
Yes, absolutely. And I suppose that like subsequently in my career, I wouldn't have had a lot of, you know, face to face contact with people with certainly in general adults who would have had um, anorexia. But as you say, issues with self-esteem, I suppose, you know, they're they, they particularly prevalent, I suppose, in people with anorexia. But you see them throughout the all of the age um, groups. And even we know in psychiatry of later life, you would have people coming to you who would have, you know, amazing life stories. And yet to talk to them, they had so little regard maybe for some of the achievements that they had had during their lifetime. So I suppose that's something that, as I said, you can see across the spectrum of ages, maybe, you know. Exactly. exactly. And I suppose one of the things as psychiatrists, as you said, is the the large team. So not only are you medically treating people, Sabina, but you're doing cognitive behavioral therapy, you're doing counseling and so forth. And, And that's fascinating, isn't it? How all of these interlink and, and help the patient. And I think that's where psychiatry is brilliant, isn't it? That it's not only yeah. using medical treatment, but it's also using yes. and neuropsychiatry or yeah. you know, tra- sure. trying to influence neurochemicals, really, isn't it? Mm. Well, yeah. and I suppose, you know, psychiatry gets a lot of bad press, press at yeah. times in terms of, you know, that we pres- prescribe pills and that the, I mean, that's the only solution that's offered. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. thankfully, modern psychiatry has moved very far away from being just medication based and certainly some people need and benefit from medication Absolutely. and that needs to be monitored and whatnot. But mm-hmm. I, I suppose the, the real merits of modern psychiatry are that, you know, working as part of a multidisciplinary team. So I would have had community nurses on my team, obviously clerical support, which is very important as well. But then I had, you know, social work, psychology, occupational therapist um, on my team as well. And I suppose the thing that um, the other team members brought to the team meetings in particular was because they came from a different background they always had a different focus or you know in terms of how to look at a problem and you know how to sometimes frame the problem so mm-hmm. you know the the kind of so-called i suppose um the medical model which we're oftentimes bashed for you mm-hmm. know um the idea is that now it's become much more multidisciplinary and you're looking at all again it's that thing of looking at all aspects of people's lives so if somebody comes into me uh, you know or came into me and they were suffering from depression and anxiety. Sure, I could prescribe medication and I could reassure them that that would work within two weeks, et cetera, et cetera, and I could organize to review them. But, you know, in the t- taking the history, I'd have to find out were there any precipitating events for that? How was their social circumstances? You know, and were there any difficulties with family, any financial difficulties, any health difficulties? And then, what, you know, what were their networks like? There's been a lot of study done, you know, from the Mercer's Institute in Dublin about looking at social networks and how that impacts on, um, on, you know, on depression and anxiety, presentation of symptoms of depression and anxiety, and even, um, you know, the, the networks in, impacting like loneliness having a huge impact Absolutely. on, on how COVID, are not we now, Sabina? We're oh, hearing those stories, yeah. particularly with COVID. Yeah. And, and with elderly, um, you know, being well, locked in. Um, we found, yeah, our presentations like really um, in, in the first couple of months back in like the March 2020, we found actually that our referral rate dropped. But the reason for that, you know, looking back on it retrospectively was clearly because people weren't presenting to their GPs. They were afraid to go and they weren't being seen face to face. So a lot of the referrals weren't coming to us. So in fact, mm-hmm. when the referrals started back, they increased exponentially. And what we found was that because people had delayed going to their GP, we were seeing people in far more severe presentation, you know, 
and also that that whole thing about like it was like COVID really has been devastating for older people because mm. families trying to protect them and cocoon them, you know, they weren't visiting them. They're, well, they we're social people, aren't we? Absolutely. Absolutely. We need that network. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're made yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And cognitive behavioural therapy, how does that work, Sabina? I'm very interested in the whole, how, how does that work? Tell us as a psychiatrist, obviously we've read, but how does it work in, in yeah. clinical terms? Well, I suppose I'm not a cognitive behavioural therapist. Well, I know you're not, yeah. but so, you use it. Yes, yeah. so I just know the, the theory behind it. Um, so the idea, I suppose, is that I you... I did, look, I did my apologies, yeah. You're all right. That, you, you know, you look at the way people, you know, their their thoughts about things, their, how they're thinking influences their behaviour. And if you can change sometimes we develop negative you know negative thought patterns and they can influence our behaviors and vice versa so it's really about trying to you know work with people to look at what the what what sparks a thought how the thought makes them behave and how that can become a cycle of kind of negativity and anxiety and then when you when you you know when you challenge the when they change the behavior and change the way of thinking then all of a sudden you know you can make that cascade into a more positive that's a more positive is it wonderful Samaya, the way things have evolved how we, we, we've become more holistic in medicine the way we've looked at the bigger picture isn't it fantastic how that has graduated yes. and evolved isn't it, it really absolutely is. absolutely yeah. and the other great thing I think um, you know when I go back to that whole thing about kind of stigma in psychiatry I think the other fantastic thing that's happened you know in modern in the modern era for psychiatry is mm. that we there's a lot more interdisciplinary working across not just psychiatry but with you know certainly in old age psychiatry I had a very close contact with my geriatric colleagues, yes. you know, my colleagues in geriatric medicine or in elderly care and, you know, working with GPs, working with physicians, working with, you know, people in the community, the kind of voluntary services or voluntary agencies in the community. So mm. that's that that all has to benefit older people. Absolutely. You have that, you know, Absolutely. that kind of cross working. I think it's it has to be beneficial. Absolutely. And even the psychiatry, one of the frustrating things, I suppose, for all of us across medicine, but is the lack of service. Services. I mean, you're, you're a multidisciplinary team and yet counselling, which you need and CBT and all of these things, they, they need to be a lot more. I know there's been money given, but Sabina, it certainly is under a um, hundred... Um, Resource. What's the word? Resource. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. I suppose when you look at, again, I wouldn't be an expert on the figures, but certainly, um, you know, we have a lot less funding than a lot of other countries in Europe. And the funding in mental health has been, I suppose, has been challenging. It's been cut, you know. But we've um, definitely seen reductions over the last 10 yes. years. Without question, yes. and I suppose it, it begs the question why? Because we're, we're hearing nothing but talk, talk about mental well-being, and you know, uh, this has been the buzzword really for the last five years, and yet the funding isn't going in there. Now I've heard that there's a million going into counselling, but that's nothing in the broad scheme of things. And, yes. and when you think if everybody at some point in their lives is going to need uh, help at some point yeah I, I suppose something that strikes me though Mary is that you know in the modern era there's there's kind of a distinction between mental illness and mental health and you know there's a huge 
There's a huge yeah. focus on mental health and that's really, really important. And before I digress, I'll just say that I think mental, you know, the whole idea about mental health, people looking after their mental health and their kind of personal mental health, taking responsibility for it. I think that should start in primary school and most definitely in secondary school. Yeah. But going back to the whole thing about mental health and mental illness, I suppose in psychiatry and acute psychiatry, what we genuinely deal with on a day-to-day basis is actually mental illness. You know, so most of the time when people come in or are referred in to us as kind of a, uh, you know, a secondary service, they're mentally ill. So the whole kind of thing about mental health, and I, I think that causes confusion in relation to funding personally yeah. and for mental yeah. health services, because I think there should actually be this, you know, dichotomy because they are different entities, really. Yes. If, you, if people have good mental health, they may not present to, you know, we'll say psychiatry, acute psychiatry, if that makes sense. And, and of course, the oral problem as well, sorry to cut across you, Sabani, that because of this sort of, you know, uh, stigma with it, people are not presenting. So we, we see suicide figures have gone up and there's a big talk about it and trying to get rid of the stigma, which is only right. But yet there, there is a stigma about presenting to psychiatry. So how do we get rid of that so that we can help people who are crying out for help? Yeah, I suppose, you know, they're, they're, I, I think a lot of funding is going into, you know, the kind of ancillary services, so, like some of the kind of community counselling services and, you know, um, some of the other kind of voluntary bodies that are available for people to approach. But I, I, I think one thing is that, you know, like I do think the media have a part to play in stigmatising um, mental illness because, you know, sometimes when a tragic event happens, Happens. It's a tragedy for absolutely for the people in, that are directly involved in it. But actually, it's oftentimes a tragedy for the staff that have been caring for those individuals if they've gone as far as mental health. And I think sometimes when those stories are sensationalized, oftentimes, you know, psychiatric services, our staff working at the coalface, they can't comment on an individual case that's kind of splashed all over the papers because obviously you can't do that. You can't get into the, some, the personal detail of a particular case. So it's oftentimes it's hard to defend what is a one-sided story that's being portrayed. And I think, you know, patients would come into acute psychiatry and say, oh, you know, like I, I was nearly embarrassed coming into the psychiatric unit because of the stories that are written, etc. You know, so I think that's one thing that we need to be mindful when we sensationalize, you know, the tragic stories. I think that's something that we should be mindful of, you know, and I also think again that whole thing about destigmatization in schools, I think. Everything that we do in terms of good mental health and kind of, you know, influencing the people, the young people, I think we should be starting primary schools and secondary schools. That's where I, I feel the, the big, yeah. we can have our biggest influence. I didn't say it's all about education. Professor Anthony Clare, who I was delighted, was one of my um, lecturers in Trinity College, Savannah. I thought he was amazing for psychiatry because he brought it out into the open yes. when it had never been done. And he yes. also was very affable and he came across as a very approachable person. And of course, that mm. then broke down a lot of barriers, didn't it? He did wonders for psychiatry, didn't he? Absolutely. And in fact, like he was, like he was an amazing man. He was so bright, and yes. he had the personality, as you said. He, you know, he came across. He was articulate. He was humorous. He had everything that you'd like to kind of have a discussion with somebody, whether it's about your mental health or any other topic. I'm sure. But actually, one of the things that always struck me about Anthony Clare when he, you know, when he was doing something was that the way he kind of engaged with you and that's I think that's a huge thing that, that kind of
kind of one-to-one communication where when you're with somebody, they feel that you're truly with them and that, you know, you have all of their attention or they have all of your attention, should I say, at that particular point in time. And I think Anthony uh, Clare had that ability. He sort of made the people in the chair feel as though they were the one and they were the only thing that mattered at that point in time. And that's so important. A gay burn, yeah, sort of a gay burn gift sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Uh, One of the things that I um, see a lot in entrepreneurship, Spina, is that uh, women have been you know, definitely if with menopause, perimenopause, they've been labelled as being depressed. When in extra fact, a lot of them are just a burnout and it's hormone imbalance due to burnout. And a lot of them are very, you know, they, they feel they're not listened to. They're angry over being put into, you know, being called depressed when clearly it's a hormone imbalance after childbirth or because their lack of sleep or whatever. What can we do to change that? Because that's a big problem and women are, are quite angry. You know, certainly patients that I see would be very angry that they're being, uh, you know, Fast as yes. depressed when clearly it's just burnout. Yeah, I, I suppose we're we're not great as uh, as women. I think rather, regardless of what area in life mm-hmm. we're in, I think we're not great as women for looking after ourselves and being kind to ourselves and looking after our own, you know, physical, mental, Absolutely. psychological, spiritual health, whatever you might uh, say. Uh, so I think that I think you know we need to be looking at how we can how women can support women, however you know how society can support women at different eras in their life. I mean, I. I I know when I was uh, a mother, when I, my, I only have one daughter after a, a long time of kind of trying unsuccessfully. Um, but, and she, I was thinking well, of the lovely one daughter, Savannah. Yeah, she's, yeah. Uh, she's adorable. But, um, you know, I had her when I was an older mother, like I was an elderly primate, as they called me. I was labeled I, the elderly primate. Savannah, you're not that, you, I, I hate this geriatric mom. You're not, you, you can have it. <laughs> not at all. Absolutely. You were fabulous. Not at all. We, we need to but, stop that as women. Yeah. yeah I, I know, I know. But actually, you know, I felt a little bit insecure because of the fact that I was an older mom. But and there was lots of kind of there were supports there that I could go to the mother and baby club, you know. So I think there, we need to be kind of mindful as a society that we need to support women at different points in their lives. And I also think, you know, in in like in a working environment, we see a lot more of people being facilitated, like if they want to do job sharing or if they want to kind of take term time or whatever it might be. You know, so I think things like that are, are good to kind of support women. But actually, I do think that as women, we need to be very mindful about looking after ourselves. Sometimes we feel guilty that we're actually doing something nice for ourselves, you know. And yes, then, yes. as you said, we allow ourselves maybe to become, you know, burnt out, overburdened. And sometimes we're not good for asking for help, Mary, either. I think... Yes. We feel we have to do it all. And I think, yes. you know, certainly women of a certain era, I think, you know, they felt they had to be the, the mother, the totally daughter. The, our mother's the, generation, the mother. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah, they absolutely. did it all and gave to everybody else and took very little for themselves. So I think that's a, kind of something important that we need to teach, we'll say, the younger women, uh, okay. you know, that are, again, coming through, I think, and ourselves right. by that. And ourselves, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because we, we both see it that, that uh, you know, it's all learned behaviour. And even though yes. you might be very educated and know everything, you actually are following the conditional cycle. We're modelling. Yeah, exactly. exactly. We're, we're modelling what that generation, our mother's exactly. generation So we yeah, need to be aware yeah. of that. Yeah. But I think you're right that the more we talk about it and the more women, I suppose, that are in medicine as well, Sabina, the more yes. we're highlighting that, you know, menopause and perimenopause, we now understand them better. 
better and women are not mm. being wrongly labeled and they're getting the proper support isn't that yes. true yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. and do you know i'm putting you on a spot now but the whole microbiome uh of the gut where they're it's studying that with regard to you know it produces 95 percent of serotonin the happy hormone what do you think of that sabina well, I suppose there's been, there's been a lot of research, you know, looking at the, I suppose, looking at antibiotics, you know, in terms of like treating depression. There, there's lots of research yeah. going on. And I suppose in a way we know so little about kind of the underlying causes. Yes, we know about kind of, you know, serotonin, noradrenaline, all of, you know, the, the kind of, as you said, the happy hormones. And we have the medications that we say regularize the hormones. But, you know, again, as I was saying, there's so many other factors involved. Um, and I think, you know, over time, we'll find out, we will come to know that, like I said, you know, the, a little bit like schizophrenia, the causes of schizophrenia being multifactorial, that it's not, you know, there may be a genetic component, there may be an early life component, maybe, you know, an issue in terms of like illicit drug use, you know, so many other um, factors. And I think we will, in time, we will find that this is the case with depression as well. But even as I was saying to you, with older people, you know, we say the presentation of depression in younger people, you know, we say it's it's very biologically based or there's a kind of a genetic predisposition there, which isn't as strong when you get to depression, which is his first um, onset in later life. And certainly in later life, you know, having a stressful life event or, uh, uh, you know, some sort of a precipitating event is much more common. And that's thought to be somehow related to the, you know, the hypothalamic pituitary cortisol. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, the Absolutely. HPA axis. And of course, the whole hormonal thing, we're, we're only beginning to unravel at this point. I mean, even if you mentioned puberty, you know, we're, we're now beginning to unravel the whole hormones affected as well. We're only beginning to understand that. And yes. as you said, there's a huge amount of research coming through, Sabina, on, on how puberty affects the, the whole hormonal cascade and, and yes. depression and so forth. So but that's that's all evolving. I was very interested when I saw that you are doing um, a master's in leadership in healthcare, Sabina. So you're very much into yeah. in, in, in I've, I've completed it actually. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Mm. That How was Sabina. That was sponsored actually by it was facilitated by the HS, uh, HSE and it was uh, run through the Irish Management Institute under the auspices of um, you know University College Cork and I mean it was amazing there were six modules like that talked about kind of you know I suppose organisations and um, you know behaviours in organisations and innovation and um, you know teams how teams work there were so many different modules in it I found it really fascinating and I have to say one of the nicest things about it was meeting people from all different areas working within the HSE you know so there were people who you know were in charge of the kind of ambulance section you know in one area of the country somebody else was a, a dentist or she kind of again oversaw kind of the whole dental thing somebody else was working in social work I was a consultant so we were all from different backgrounds and it was really interesting to hear how I suppose how they the organization functioned in different areas, both in different specialties and for, for different people within, you know, di different levels of the organization. And I suppose what, what came to me from the, um, from the, having done the course, the work for the masters was that, 
really to me it's all about communication you know um it, it's, it's it's really you know your interaction your day-to-day interaction with your team your interaction with patients your interaction with families your interaction with your peers uh, regardless of what level of the organization and then your interaction with managers so you know as consultants we ended up i was a manager but i then i was a middle manager because i had to feed into management above me and um, but i was managing the people below me but then also i was like in my peer group my consultant peer group we were involved in kind of um, aspects of managing within the organization but the whole thing about communication was fascinating and I ended up I did my dissertation for um, the masters on storytelling you know the use of storytelling to um, I suppose to spread um, to spread the values of the HSE. So uh, yeah. you've, probably, you've probably heard of the Values in Action Initiative. I'm sure you have. Yes, and, I have, yeah. Yeah, so they talk about nine behaviours that basically demonstrate the values of the HSE. So there are three behaviours towards yourself. It's a bit like what you were talking about for women, you know, so towards yeah. yourself as a professional, you know, are you looking after yourself? Are you careful about the impact that you have on people, good and bad? And then yeah. three behaviours towards patients and three behaviours towards peers. And I suppose what um, what the Values in Action team, um, you know, they've found is that stories, telling stories about, you know, the behaviours, the way people behave within the organisation sort of mm. spreads the behaviours. And there's a guy called Leandro Herrero who's, um, he's big into viral change. He's kind of the viral change guru so to speak yeah he talks about you know that um behaviors kind of change culture so it's that that we as humans we behave in certain ways and the behaviors create the culture as opposed to a culture creating behavior you know so anyway i found it fascinating that's what i did my dissertation on brilliant brilliant and as a psychiatrist being acutely aware of mental illness how did you look after your own mental health because obviously it's a very stressful job when you're dealing with people acute mental ill how did you come, you know, how did you look after yourself mentally? Um, yeah, so I, I suppose in the earlier years of my career, you know, I would have done different things like maybe horse riding, reading and traveling and stuff like that. And then um, about nine years ago, um, you know, there, there was a kind of a re, um, what's the word, reorganization of the mm. mental health structures in, I suppose, in the area I was working in. And I found that really stressful at the time. So mm. I took up meditation and um, I found that, that that was really helpful. They, then I suppose the other thing I do is that I, I love music. So I'm involved. I, I, and in my latter years, I've kind of got more involved in music I play saxophone in the town band well bad saxophone I used to play the clarinet but I've changed well done well done well done yeah no no I was just going to say I I have a house full of animals I love animals as well (laughs) and I suppose being out in nature I find you know connecting with nature I find that really sort of brings me back it grounds me it brings me back into like you know it slows I kind of find my pace slows back down because you know as you can probably gather I was laughing at, um, you know you were saying in one of your podcasts that you talk very fast I was saying well here's your sister I tend to talk very fast as well but I think that you have being, a lot to tell Sabina so it's fine or Sabina I should say. exactly yeah. exactly yeah. but yeah, I find yeah. be, being in nature kind of brings me right back down it slows me down and kind of gets me back into the present moment because I think sometimes you know when you work as a professional in the health service 
There's so many balls that you're juggling at any one time. You know, your head can be in a spin. It's like the kind of chattering monkeys. If that to do, and if that to do, and I must phone her. So it's kind of nice. I find nature really brings me back, as I said, right back down, kind of brings it all yeah. back into the present moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Meditation is hard for two women like us because we're go, go, go. I, I certainly found meditation hard to do. It, it's a discipline you really have to, to work at, isn't it, Sabine, even though it's so helpful? Yeah, and, but I suppose it's like one of those things. I, I wouldn't have been a good person for committing to something long term. You know, I dip yes. into things, I dip out of them. I've improved in my older years. But um, <laughs> I have to say, I suppose I found the benefits from meditation. They were, they were so, you know, like so... What's the word? So immediate and so, um, yes. you know, far reaching. I, I kind of, it was the one thing I knew that when I meditated, I felt better. I was a better person. You know, it kind mm -hmm. of, it helped me to reflect on myself as a person, you know, and I think, yeah. And you do it every day, Sabina? Would you I make do, your, yeah. I, I make, what do you do? Turn on music and just, you, you just meditate then for 20 minutes or what would you do? Yeah, sometimes up to up to an hour. I'd be up early in the morning. So I used to have my, I have an early clock. I'd be up early in the mornings, and uh, yeah, I do sometimes up to an hour. So, uh, yeah, but I find it, as I said, I find it very beneficial. Mm. That's absolutely fantastic. That, that's that's a great discipline. It's, I must say, I dip in and out of it, <laughs> but it's 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 very very rewarding. And of course, it's been shown to be very beneficial as well, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Fine. I was just going to say, when I was training as a medical student, I remember uh, coming across a, a young uh, man, only 19, with schizophrenia. And it's so, um, for me, uh, you know, as a medical student, it was frightening. It was, it's, it's, mm. was dreadful because you think that could be you. And um, it, it is very, very hard area to work in, uh, isn't it? I mean, you would want to, to, to relax after it, wouldn't you? And try yeah. and yeah. because it is very it touches yeah. you on all levels doesn't it because it could be any of us couldn't it? absolutely I suppose just to say with that the caveat though that you know um, with kind of there are new medications that are very effective kind of you know Fosbine has really transformed um, I suppose the way we treat people with schizophrenia the way people are treated not everybody can tolerate it or not everybody can kind of comply with it but just to say yeah. and also you know there's so many more specialised services for people like like, you know, the rehabilitation recovery teams, like look after people maybe with long term um, schizophrenia, kind of to look again, that kind of holistic thing, looking at, you know, how they budget, how they finance their living um, kind of conditions, supporting them maybe to go back doing courses and what like. So the, the prognosis is not probably the same as it was maybe when you were a medical student, but absolutely, absolutely. like dealing, you know, working in the area of acute psychiatry or, you know, in mental health, it is stressful. And oh. there are lots of aspects of it are stressful. Sometimes you, you know, you you question whether, you know, is this the right thing to do? Have I missed something here? You know, somebody's gotten cross with you because, you know, they've kind of they've missed their point and you can't facilitate. And, you know, there's so many different things. There's kind of the fight for resources, trying to get day hospitals, trying to make sure that if somebody goes on maternity leave in your team, one of your, you know, your allied health professions, you get them replaced or your one of your community nurses is off for some reason. So all of those things are stressful. As I'm saying, sometimes you feel like, you know, you're juggling the world and you're kind of, you know, that guy in, in the circus that has all the plates up on the little sticks 
and you're running yeah. from stick to stick trying to make sure that none of them fall. So yes, it, I have to say it can be stressful. So that's why it's so important to, you know, consciously look at the things that give you relief and, you know, like whether that's humor, music, art, meditation, nature, sport, animals, travel, whatever it might be. Yeah, we have to be in tune with ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. You find a thing that gives you, you know, that gives you that kind of relief and that release and that sort of complete switch so that you don't bring work home with you and that, you know, you're not bringing your home life into work. Um, A guy, one of my colleagues, he had a very good saying was that when you came into work in the morning, you know, you you left one kind of persona, you know, as in one set of problems behind, but you never brought them into work. And likewise, you tried not to bring your work problems home with you as well, you know, because... Both areas will suffer if you bring problems from one to one to the other. Totally, totally. And I suppose the wind worrying thing is drugs have having a, a, a huge effect and then causing schizophrenia. Yes. It's a big problem, isn't yes. it? And, and yeah, because yeah. it's good that we're making people aware because I think the fright to frighten people that this can actually happen, um, I think is a big factor, isn't it? Yeah. But what's lovely. What's lovely, Sabine, I suppose, is that we're now way more aware of our mental health, aren't we? Everybody is doing a lot more to self-care. And even yeah. like high-stressed emotion can cause so many psychiatric illnesses, as we know. And yes. we're all so aware of, you know, how, how, how dynamics, I suppose, aren't we? And, and we're looking better than we ever did before. Yes, and I suppose if you look, you know, I, I, I keep harping on about, I think change should be instituted I keep saying it at primary school and secondary school school, actually I I know kind of having had my daughter come through primary school and she's midway through secondary school you know there are there there are great supports and you know if somebody is struggling like they're offered kind of psychological um, assessments and you know they're offered support and the teachers are so much more in tune you know so I I think that a lot has been done in education Mm -hmm. I think to support children I know you know, a couple of meditation teachers who are doing stuff with children as young as in primary school, you know, mm-hmm. teaching them how to um, maybe, you know, kind of do exercises, different exercises yeah. in terms of like yoga, like doing stretching exercises and then maybe doing some, you know, things like OM, saying OM, stuff like that, like, you know, using a, a kind of a short mantra or something like that to help them mm-hmm. kind of relax, get into the zone. So I think we, as you say, we are becoming a lot more conscious about our mental health. Um, and I think, you know, that's why it's it's really important to kind of, you know, destigmatize mental Absolutely. distress, mental, you know, in promote mental health. But as you said, when people are feeling distressed, that they feel that they know it's OK to go and ask somebody, you know, and sometimes I suppose the tragic thing is that. There are the resources there, but that, you know, I think for teenagers, particularly, and maybe young adults, maybe particularly young men, I think sometimes, you know, the resources might well be there, but maybe they don't always avail of them because for whatever reason, they're locked inside themselves or whatever, you know, they can't kind of go go outside of themselves. Totally. Totally. And I suppose this is one of the reasons that we're talking about empowering uh, people is that to get rid of that macho society, because that doesn't empower men either, because they're afraid to yes. come forward if, mm-hmm. they're, if they feel that they, they, you know, you're supposed to be macho and you can't talk. And that's not doing them any good either. So yes. it, it, that's a really imp- important point. But one of the things that upsets me is that we all know high stress emotion causes hormone imbalance, causes endocrine illness as well as mental illness. But 
you know, the domestic violence in the COVID pandemic was horrific. And we were hearing about it trebling, and yet there was nothing being done, Sabina. And as women as and as doctors, and you as a psychiatrist, it's very upsetting, isn't it? When mm. you see that it took the death of, of a young girl to really make them wake up and start to say, this isn't tolerable. But why did it take the death of somebody to do that? You know, that that's very vexing, isn't it? Mm. Yes. You know, I, I, you're referring to poor Ashley Murphy. Ashley Murphy, yeah. I am, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but it, it yeah. took... It took her death for politicians and for, you know, people in general to come out and say, actually, you know, domestic violence isn't tolerable. Violence against women isn't tolerable. It just, it was terrible that it took that for people to sort of say, yet domestic violence, it, it wasn't even top of the news. It even wasn't included in the news, actually, Spina, for, mm. for the two years of COVID. And it was well known that in Ireland and in Europe, it had trebled. So yes. it's, it's, a, it's a sad fact, really, isn't it? That um, it takes something like that to, to make people, you know, and and these affect mental health, physical health, you know, all of that violence is not good for mentally or, or physically. Obviously, it affects yes. everything, doesn't it? Yeah, so I suppose it's something we have to be we have to be more in tune with. But I can see Sabina White, psychiatry. You're very empathetic. You're a fantastic communicator, <laughs> and I can see why you you're brilliant with your students as well. Tell me about Sabina because the, the name is Sabina. You're telling us. Tell us about yes. that name. Well, Not um, we all know the president's wife is Sabina. So tell yes, us, tell yeah. us in, in fact, I think she might be Sabina because she's from the oh, West really? Ireland. But I, I, I need to clarify. <laughs> I haven't met her in person. That's a little bit cheeky of me uh, claiming her to be okay. a Sabina. You know, in, in my case, it's a family name. I have an aunt <laughs> and a grand aunt and a cousin all called Sabina. And actually, about pre-COVID, about three years ago, um, I went to visit, um, we went to visit cousins in the UK and it ended up there were three of us Sabinas and we got a photograph of three of the four Sabinas uh, so that, was, that was funny yeah. so it's a family name but to be honest I don't know where it came from you know there's a famous painting called The Rape of the Sabine Women they're an Italian tribe of women um, oh. in, you know, in Italy so I was saying maybe an Italian graced the shores of Ireland a couple of generations three generations ago who knows I don't know <laughs> so I have to I'll have to try to find out a little bit more about it did you pass it on your daughter's Vina. You did no, you give it as a no. second record? I maybe the I, next generation. I called her Maria. Yeah, yeah. We oh, called beautiful. her Maria. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful yeah. name, beautiful name. Well, Sabina, you've been brilliant. Uh, what, where to from here? Because you have done, you know, psychiatry, you're involved still in uh, very much in the college, you're involved teaching students, and you're now empowering us all and telling us all about mental health and psychiatry, which is fantastic. Where, where to from here? Where do you see the next 20 years? Um, well, it's hard to know. I suppose I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in the meditation and I suppose one of the um, things I'm doing at the moment, as you were saying there, is I'm, you know, a mentor for the higher trainees in the College of Psychiatrists. And that's, that's really interesting because I have to say, I think at my kind of, my, I was going to say my age, but I suppose a nicer way to describe it is my level of experience um, life experience and work experience. I suppose I feel I, you know, I have a lot to kind of share with, um, with trainees, higher trainees. And one of the big focuses for the College of Psychiatrists, I think we're probably ahead of some of the other colleges in the way we support trainees. So every, you know, basic trainee and higher trainee, they all have like this dedicated one hour supervision um, every week. Um, you know, it's mm -hmm. educational supervision, but actually 
the trainee themselves, they choose what the topic is. So they get great support from that. And as a mentor in the college, I have a slightly different role. So when they're looking at kind of career choices or they might be having a struggle in the job, whether it's a personal struggle or professional struggle or whatever, I'm there myself and three other colleagues nationally. We kind of, um, you know, we provide them with support and advice if necessary. And we can sometimes, you know, advocate on their behalf if there's a particular problem in a particular area. We can advocate. I suppose I like, I enjoy doing that. But as I said, you know, at the moment, I'm, I'm sort of just settling into not working kind of full time. It's funny, it takes a while to get back down off the, you know, the kind of the, the merry-go-round, you know. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. But, but it is absolutely fine. And so, so necessary, isn't it, as you said, yes. just to take them out. But the other thing, Sabine, is you, you've such a great personality and a great communicator and you have such experience that you, you might think of doing the Professor Anthony Clare role because to, to, to think in with the public and educate the public is very important too, isn't it? Uh, so Mary, you're, you're very kind, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put myself in any place uh, near <laughs> Anthony Clare. He was, he was one of a kind, really, you know, yes. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but, you, you've, you've got a lot of skills, Sabina, so we'd like to see you share them. I do think it's very important, though, as doctors, that we do educate the public. Don't you agree? Because it's the only Absolutely. way that we're going to get compliance and that we're going to get people to look after themselves if they understand yes. the reasons why. And if we take ourselves off the pedestals and communicate with yes. them, don't you agree? Yeah. I, I do. And, and as I was saying to you about, you know, stigma and kind of the media sometime mm. and media coverage yeah. of like tragic events or, you know, catastrophic events or, or whatever. Okay. You know, I think it's really important that, um, you know, that the, the that there is a balanced representation of what the facts are, because as you said, totally. like working at the coalface in psychiatry is really challenging sometimes. And the public don't don't know and don't understand some of the challenges that are facing to there by the staff on a 24-hour basis, you know. So I, I think that's important to sometimes maybe have that sort of balanced communication. And storytelling in that way can actually be good to say something yes. in a way where, you know, it's not just my opinion versus yours. I can tell you a story about how, what's, what had happened for me or an experience somebody else had and how that impacted them, good or bad, you know. And I have to say that, you know, I suppose we as colleges, whether College of psychiatrists or physicians or wherever, you know, um, I think we we sometimes haven't been good to communicate maybe yes. our, our role and the challenges that we face and maybe to advocate in terms of resources and that. But I'm delighted to say that, you know, I'm really proud of the College of Psychiatrists in the last, you know, couple of years before that, but particularly in the last couple of years, they've, you know, issued statements, very strong statements in relation to very difficult topics and very difficult, you know, areas, we'll say, within psychiatry and very difficult, we'll say, happenings or events. So, you know, I have to say... That's um, yeah, it is great because I think that's something that's very important because sometimes it, it, we can go, it's, it's best to say nothing and it's best to kind absolutely, of, you know, keep a profile. But actually, as you said, no, Mary, you have I to lead from the front. Yeah, you have, have to lead from the front. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And I think particularly in the whole area of uh, we as a people have to stop being so judgmental. And I'm saying that particularly with suicide, because in Ireland, we were known for being very judgmental. And there, but the grace of God, it could have been anyone's family uh, that would be affected. Yeah. So I think it's it's wonderful that we're getting rid of that. 
And um, I suppose, you know, as people, we're getting better, aren't we, with that inner reflection and stop being judgmental and getting a higher self-esteem, which, of course, if you have high self-esteem, you're not judgmental. Isn't that it? It's, it's, That's it. We're exactly. learning a lot about the individual, which is great. Well, Spina, yeah. I think you're fantastic. You're an amazing uh, person, amazing communicator, and you're always willing to give you your time. So I thank you so much for joining us here tonight. Thank you very much. been my pleasure. Thank you very much. You are very good and continue to be a mentor for everyone and for us all and, and thank you very much Spina thanks Mary nice to talk to you take care bye 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 bye, -bye. bye, -bye.